so drumming for um, a lot of cultures is just a way that we can connect with our body. Um, this is not drumming from any one culture. It's literally just me making some sounds on a drum. And I encourage you to take this exit time to just reconnect with that place where we started. So with your body, where your feet are. And if anything stirred you during this podcast, I encourage you to allow that, allow that to come forward in your mind. So I'm just going to drum for a little bit. Welcome to Herbal Hour. Today we have with us Miles French. Hello, Miles. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing very well. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on and just share some space and talk about some really cool stuff today. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about a great topic, shamanism yes. and shamanic healing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit on how you got your start in shamanic studies absolutely yeah and um, before we jump into that i want to just take just a little moment here um, to create some space for some prayer and some mindfulness and um, we'll just take a second and i'm going to ask any of the listeners that are with me um, to just take a moment to to slow down for a second it's easy to approach these topics with in intellectualism for it to stay kind of in that mental space um, but my greatest goal is if I can activate or encourage some sort of movement in your deeper spirit, in your emotional body today, that would be, that would be good work. Um, so I'm going to ask us to just take a moment here to connect with our breath, to connect with our feet and where we're, where we are. To just allow that breath to connect us with the earth below us, where we draw our sustenance, our stability. allow our roots to go deep so we can extend our branches upward and draw inspiration um, down from the heavens. To just be here, be where your body is, where your spirit is. And I'm going to go ahead and call in any good and blessed helping spirits, any of our guides or guardians that might be with us or wanting to come in, to come into this space with us any good spirits or good wisdom, that whatever is most needed right now for the listeners, for, for us in this space to come forward in a good way, in a clear way, so that we can connect with that greater force, that greater life essence that ties us all together. And I ask that, um, that this information be, be of some good. And with that, let's jump right into the material. Let's do it. The whole time you were speaking, there were some crows uh, making noise in the background. So ah, good crow it, medicine. I love it. Yeah, it yeah. made it extra spooky. So crows are always looming around. They're always up to stuff, especially um, on a day like today where yeah. it's like overcast. Yes, they just come out and it gives this certain yeah. uh, vibe. It always, um, it always reminds me. Have you ever watched the show Vikings? Uh, I have not. It's basically um, not to get too far off topic, yeah. but it, the show does speak a lot about Nordic myths. Ooh, cool! Um, and it gets into it, and there's always kind of like a crow um, foreshadowing some event, uh, good or bad. So oh. I think they're a, they're a sacred animal. Yes, and, uh, and yeah. So let's get right into it. How'd you get interested in shamanism? Yeah, my journey to shamanism was long and eclectic. It started out. Um, exploring a number of spiritual traditions and avenues. Um, but the seeds, the seeds of finding shamanism in a good and real way in my life were planted um, pretty strongly in high school. Um, when I could no longer ignore the signs that the universe was giving me, when I could no longer resist the calls that I was getting, I finally picked up the phone and actually started to listen to... Um, to the, the many voices, signs, and experiences that were coming through. And they were all leading me to, to connect with the earth in a deeper way. So that was my intro. And so I started exploring a number of earth-based practices, um, paganism, um, different forms of animistic thought. And I eventually found my way to shamanism. And 
once I started to hear about it, to learn about it, and then just started to practice, you know, certain pretty lighthearted stuff at first, but getting more and more serious, like it completely changed my entire waking reality in such a powerful way that I hadn't experienced before. And ever since then, I've just been, it's been literally like the most important part of my life. And, you know, that led a long and winding road, but I ended up exactly where I needed to be. And I found an actual teacher instead of just working through things on my own. And that teacher um, is an indigenous, a two-spirit shamanic practitioner. And uh, through that work with this teacher, who I will provide information for if people are, are interested about learning more about our tradition or what we do, um, through that work, I've completely transformed my life and found my calling, which is to be a healer, to work in healing, and to help uh, to help bring light to people and help people find find this kind of work too. So that's that's a very short summary of how I got here. Excellent. That's uh, sounds like a very beautiful story, and we'll yeah. definitely delve into more of the specifics. Absolutely. So for some of our listeners uh, who may not know what two spirit means, yeah, what what does that term uh, signify to you? Yeah, that is a is a term that has been kind of. Uh, thrown out there and used by a number of indigenous communities. I don't want to generalize too much, but but in a very basic sense, I would say a two-spirit is someone who is between worlds, and uh, they are someone who can hold medicines of, of, different, of different balances, of different places. And one of the sacred ways that that manifests is, um, is being able to hold the mysteries of both masculine and feminine in, in a divine uh, balance. Mm. And so a lot of uh, two-spirit uh, shamanic practitioners or two-spirit shamans, if it was a community-appointed term, um, are, are often people who are transgender or non-binary. Um, they also may be queer. Um, they may be. Uh, th- they fit into different different overlapping circles. There's someone who can pass in between experiences. Um, and so I'll just say that you know I I don't want to speak for these people, and I'll let them define their own terms. But that's my very limited understanding of two spirit. Um, and it's it's a source of great power and great great knowledge. And it's a very difficult road, so one that we should respect greatly. Mm. Absolutely. So what's what's the story of how you got involved in your healing path? Yeah. So I was called to healing through some stories of wounding and mm. my wounding manifested in some physical illness. I had, you know, periods of time where I was struggling with, uh, you know, kind of a classic story for a lot of uh, people getting into naturopathic medicine as I'm currently going to school to, to do. Um I had illnesses that were not being treated or helped well by mm-hmm. Western medicine, um, but that herbal therapies ended up, you know, healing very quickly in a non-invasive way. Those stories are cool, and I think they're important. But I think the bigger work for me of my healing journey was related to relationship, and my relationship with people around me, um, people who were suffering and sick around me, and my early attempts and calls to try to help them. But in doing so, I was actually um, jumping into the water with them. And what we mean by that is if someone's drowning, you want to be in a boat and you want to you want to pull them up out of the water into the boat. If the drowning means illness or trauma or emotional pain or struggles or difficulties, jumping in the water with them um, mm. and flailing around in there may seem like a powerful healing act. But what you're actually doing is you're actually just uh, harming both of yourselves. And I didn't know that I was doing that. And I lived this way for a very, very long time. I thought that by giving up my power to other people, trying to help them by being extremely empathetic, existing with no boundaries was a good and healthy way to try to heal people. Mm. And so my healing journey has so much wounding around around allowing myself to be wounded and to to be trying to help people but ending up just hurting myself and not getting anywhere with them, not actually helping them. And that reached a number of climaxes and realizations. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a healer. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I had gifts in that regard, but I didn't have the right avenues and I didn't have the right 
um, life skills and spiritual skills to be able to do that in a good way. Um, and so part of the shamanic work for me is first figuring out how I heal my own wounds, Mm -hmm. how I go about living with my own wounds and healing those and learning from them. And then when I'm feeling like I'm in the boat, (laughs) then I can, I can start to reach out and help people get out of the water. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. That's, um, a very common thing that I see, um, people being caught in another person's trauma Mm, and, um, having this feeling that they need to fix them or Mm -hmm. heal them. Um, and it's especially disastrous in cases where that other person doesn't actually really want healing Yeah. or they may just be paying lip service to them wanting healing, but it's part of, uh, their pattern. So we were talking about this, uh, previously, Mm -hmm. um, right before we started recording that shamanism or shamanic practices, um, allow an overcoming of that trauma through Mm -hmm. going very deep into the mind and the psyche and really working on the exact things that are the true causes of these, you know, these, what we would call mental illness and depression, anxiety, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And what I found is that one of the major things that causes a lot of suffering for people is a lack of meaning in their lives. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. And it's because of the fact that that aspect of meaning because of materialistic culture has almost been ripped out. And there's something mm-hmm. that, uh, the shamans call uh, loss of soul. Yeah. So there's like soul, soul retrievals. concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'd say that might be one of the most important, uh, passions that I have that I find so much power in plant spirit medicine in the shamanic way of doing healing. Um, that we can talk about. And I think at the core of that is this recontextualizing our experiences in a good way and re-enchanting the world, bringing meaning, bringing clarity and guidance back in and Mm. bringing play and magic back to the world because so much of those and their authentic expressions are literally systematically suppressed Mm -hmm. um, by ourselves, by our society, um, and we don't know how to access those and bring them out in a good way that like benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shamanic path is a way to radical authenticity. And when we when we go to radical authenticity, we're allowing those things to emerge spontaneously. And to go back to healing, um, so much healing is about being in so much. There's so much illness and so much manifestation of suffering that comes out of being in wrong relationship, not not just with people and places, but with our, the many parts of ourselves, you know, the parts of ourselves that we are repressing, the parts of ourselves that need care, that need attention, that we run from. So for me, a lot of that healing was, um, I was, I was avoiding my own work, mm. um, by trying to help other people. That's so is, yeah. common in people yeah. in our healing profession. Yeah. I see it, uh, I see it all the time and I've actually noticed that tendency in myself so I've noticed it so often that um, when I feel like a strong need to help somebody, I'll reflect back now and say, is this something that I really just need to do for myself? Yeah, that, I'm glad you have that awareness, my friend. And usually it is. <laughs> right. Nine and times out of ten, it's like something, it's what I should have done for myself. And, and to go back to kind of that being in the boat metaphor, this is something that I really had to learn too. And this is, I think, really important uh, when we, when we talk about taking ownership and responsibility mm-hmm. that I, what I love about a lot of shamanic work is that it will just, it will hit you with the truth mm-hmm. and it will give it to you mm-hmm. in a way that is hard to resist. And what I mean by that is a really intense thing I had to learn too about, about, um, being in people's cycles of trauma with them mm-hmm is that I actually, by by giving up my energy to help them, was literally just sustaining those cycles. I actually was um, just stealing, robbing them of their opportunity to work through that because mm. I was allowing them to stay in those cycles. I was doing the heavy lifting for them. I wasn't really helping them because we weren't dealing with the root causes. I was literally just... Um, codependently like mm. caretaking for them in a way that that literally got nowhere um, mm. 
And so if you, if you are someone who has the story in your head, and I'm saying this to the viewers in hopes that this reaches other people like me, because there are many people who live in codependent relationships, um, in these cycles, if you have convinced yourself that to be a good person, to have meaning is to give up your energy and your power solely for the, the sake of other people, you may very well be living, uh, and encouraging people's lack of growth, which is a really intense statement to first hear, you know, because I had built a story of being a healer, of being a caretaker, and I had invested my sense of self in that mm. when I wasn't actually helping anyone, and I certainly wasn't helping myself. It was just a cycle of trauma. And shamanism helped smack me in the face and wake me up to that reality, which not everyone needs to, you know, go through the shamanic way. But I, I do believe it's a it's a very powerful, fast way to do that. Right. And uh, my understanding of shamanism is it can be very dark. Oh, yeah. It can be so, so dark. Well, it's about facing the truth. You know, it's like confronting your shadow. And that's what we're all running from. Right. I've had some interesting shadow dreams. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll share that with you. I yeah. don't think I've ever told anybody about this oh, wow. uh, story. It's, it's coming out, the um, good stuff. So it's happened on more than one occasion. So okay. the way my shadow manifests in my dreams is it looks like me. Hmm. It looks like me, but it has some kind of evil yeah. look in its eyes. Wow. Um, in this dream, I was actually, I was uh, standing right here. And the shadow entity of myself was kind of standing uh, behind us over here mm -hmm. and just looking at me. Um, first, it lost its head. And then some other, like the face of uh, a family member came up and then it morphed into my face. So it didn't mm -hmm. actually begin as myself. So I'm just standing, I'm looking and I see this entity that's headless, decapitated, mm -hmm. uh, not like bleeding or anything, but just l uh, lack of a head and a head came in and eventually it became my, my face, but it was a dark version of my face. Wow. Like it was, there was something, uh, sinister about the look and I approached this being and they, they told me something like, are you ready to die or something mm. like that? Um, and it was approaching me in a very like confrontational and malicious way. Mm-hmm. And I, I consciously at that moment decided to surrender to it. Mm. I said, yes, okay. Um, and it was this uh, shadow uh, version of myself was approaching me and it had some kind of like sharp dagger or something. And it, um, it was like coming closer and closer to my body with the mm. sharp dagger right uh, in the area of my liver. And it was like just about to uh, like plunge it through and kill me in this dream. Um, and then right as it was started doing that, uh, I actually felt like a sharp pain and I woke mm. up. So I wasn't like able to completely uh, confront it. But yeah. what I what I took the dream to mean after, you know, writing it down, it's it's really unfortunate that a lot of the details of these dreams are lost if you don't immediately write them down. This so is true. I took yeah. a little bit of time to uh, write it down. So I lost a lot of the details. Mm. But what I, I found it to mean uh, later on was, this was about a year ago and I think, uh, in the past year, I've really um, taken a deep plunge into uh, facing my own shadow mm. aspect um, and really, in the Jungian sense, integrating the shadow. They always yeah. talk about integrating the shadow. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a large aspect of your personal power that's in mm. that shadow. So oh, for, yeah. for some of us that might not be familiar with Jungian psychology, uh, the shadow aspect is basically all of the repressed aspects of the psyche. So it's um, like qualities about ourselves that we don't want to accept. Uh, usually things like aggression, violence, things like that are uh, deeply repressed in the shadow. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of, we uh, compartmentalize it in our psyche as a way of essentially not dealing with aspects of ourselves that are, yeah. that we like to believe that we're not, right? right? Every person likes to believe that they're really like a good intentioned, uh, good human being, but there's this aspect of us that is malicious. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I've kind of found from, uh, delving into it is that mm -hmm. it simply seeks to be heard. Yes. And I it's not agree. at its root malicious. Yeah. It's an aspect that we're repressed and because it's been so repressed, it's now almost like an entity that's angry. And now mm -hmm. it's just pure it's just pure maliciousness instead of being integrated Absolutely. into ourselves. And to expand that, something that I've really learned through this shamanic work um, 
is that there's many, many parts to our authentic self, to the, mm. to the spirit, to the soul that you are, that you come down here to be, that we are told, especially from a young age, are bad or like inappropriate or too much. And we get these wounds when we're young about these really totally okay. I'm not, I don't even mean like violent things, like beautiful things. And what happens is when we, when we, when we suppress them because we think that we're going to die or we're going to lose love or care if we Mm. allow those to exist, which, you know, sometimes in some communities might actually be so. It's actually, it's true in some cases of trauma. Yeah. I want to, I want to hold that. No. And and at the time it's, it's intelligent, right? Like I Mm want to honor the intelligence of children and and their, their ways of dealing with difficult things. Mm. But the problem is, is those parts of ourself that we, we basically cut off, we amputate, those don't go anywhere. And what happens is they want so badly to be taken out of that dark place in you that you're holding, that you're running from and holding away that they turn twisted. They turn evil or not. Sorry. Sorry. Do not say, I did not say evil. What I mean by that is, they turn twisted, they turn violent or aggressive because they're they're angry and they're hurt. And they like you said, they want to be heard and seen. And, and and it will manifest in so many ways in your life. It can manifest as illness, it can manifest as cyclical relationships, toxic mm-hmm. relationships with people. You know, mm-hmm. it can manifest as you're someone who wants to be a really peaceful person, but you're so angry all the time. Or like certain issues are just so triggering for you it can manifest in all these ways and another thing is as my teacher says keeping those parts of yourselves locked away is actually much harder in the long run energetically speaking than living your authentic self which is is Mm. a state which doesn't take energy it's like your authentic a limited source of power it's like a wellspring of energy it's a wellspring but to force those parts of you down is like pushing a beach ball underwater And what you realize when you start to do this work is like we spend so much of our lives living a, a, a sad, a smaller, yeah, a huskier, shallow version of ourselves. And it's exhausting. It's very exhausting. It's exhausting. And we don't even realize that how much energy we're spending not being our actual selves. And it's not actually effective. Yeah. No, it doesn't work. It definitely doesn't work. That (laughs) being like some other image or putting on a face will make people like us or love us. But actually, ironically, that's the same thing that people don't like and they shy away from because they shy away in themselves. Exactly. So basically be a, be authentic AF is the approach that I think is the healthiest. It is. And it's hard. You know, I, I am, I have been on this journey and I know that some of these original wounds, these core wounds are going to take a lifetimes of work to undo, but every day I'm getting better at living off more authentically. And my, my love for the world, my the sense of connection, my my overall energy and happiness and purpose just gets better every and every day. But that that's a daily commitment. That's a daily commitment to that work. Does it get easier? You you get strength back. I, I would say that that shamanic work is not easy work. And so I'm not gonna tell you a lie that it's easy. It's not. It's about facing some of the scariest stuff, the hardest stuff to if face. If it's easy, you're probably not doing it correctly. Right. If right. it doesn't scare the S H I T out of you, yeah. you're probably not really touching that deep. Yeah, I don't think you're turning over all those stones. Like maybe you're just kinda you're kinda stroking one. <laughs> Dipping the toes in Dipping the water. Dipping the toes in the water. Yeah. yeah that's um so it it made me think, um, in terms of dreams, mm. our dreams in a lot of uh, cases, what I've seen is they they speak mm. from the subconscious mind. So things that we try to repress, it has to come up in your dreams. Uh, Carl Jung said that dreams are the mechanism which the psyche balances itself with. And actually an interesting uh, elaboration on that is that the dream itself is the healing of the dream. Mm. We seek to understand it in a kind of conceptual way so that we can kind of have more of an understanding of ourselves. But just having the dream is therapeutic. Yeah. It is actually a really interesting finding that people who are uh, forced into sleep deprivation will, in a lot of cases, have psychotic breaks. Right. Why is that? Well, it, that seems to point towards the uh, dreams being a way for the psyche to balance itself. Yeah. Now, they actually even found in, in that research that 
even if you, um, even if a person is allowed to sleep, but they are forced awake every time they're about to uh, enter REM sleep, which is what we typically think of as the dream state, mm-hmm. even if they get eight hours of sleep every day, if they're interrupted in their REM and never get it, they still can have all sorts of mental issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think we're really disconnected from the weight and power of dreams. You know, when I, so I have a background in psych and when Mm. we were studying it, there were like three main theories as to why we dream. And all of them felt so empty to me, Mm. you know, like one, I think one of the leading ones is it's your brain, your neurons start firing to, to kind of, it's a random firing. It's random firing. That's not even worth even And and what's insane, what's so (laughs) frustrating about that is like, we know, we know for a fact that dreams are stored as waking memories. They're stored the same way. Your brain doesn't differentiate between a dream memory and a Mm. real memory. They're, real events that actually happen to us. They have emotional connections. Like you, you feel emotions, you react, you process things, whether you're conscious of it or not, give your dreams some weight. You know, those are actual experiences that you're living through. Um, and your, your dream mind doesn't necessarily know the difference. Um, you know, so that, that was a big thing for me is like, uh, treating them with importance and with care. Um, these are powerful. This is a powerful time when your, your deeper self is in communication with, with a number of forces. And I know personally that, that, uh, as I've increased my spiritual work, my dreams have gotten a lot more vivid Mm -hmm. and, uh, and some really needed messages have come through and that wouldn't have happened if I didn't give them weight, if I didn't write them down, if I didn't get enough sleep to dream, you know, I'm, I'm working through stuff at night when I'm sleeping and that's, that's awesome. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're all very busy, especially starting med school. So it's nice to wake up being like, that was really cool. And that's mm-hmm. gonna, that's gonna have an impact on my journey. One of the greatest enemies, uh, of the path of wisdom mm-hmm. is just, this is just a dream. Right. This is just a coincidence. The, the decontextualizing the empty. This is just meaning. a placebo effect. Right. Oh Yeah. So that just, it's a, it's almost a weapon of the mind to discount it is uh, a view that might lead to some deeper uh, significance. So right. um, some people, I've heard it said too, because I, I love to rant and rave about <laughs> dreams because um, I believe dream psychotherapy is one of the lost medical arts mm. um, that has existed for a long time. Um, just to give some background, the temples of Asclepius... Um, and the mystery schools, they, the way they worked is they would have people who are ill and they would Mm. come to this, uh, temple and sleep there for the night and they would, you know, prepare themselves, um, and get ready to basically tell this priest what their dream was. Mm. And they would use these dreams as a way of interpreting what the illness was and what the cure Mm. to it is. Um, and this was over 2000 years ago. There was, the temples were really interesting too, because, um, apparently they had snakes crawling all around the floors, these mm. sacred snakes or vipers. That's where that symbol of medicine comes from. You know, mm. the rod of Asclepius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the single one. That's the, the rod with one snake on it. One snake. The caduceus, which most people think of as the medical symbol. That's mm-hmm. the two snakes, mm. um, intertwining with the kind of wing top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one's actually more associated with Hermes. Mm. And also became a symbol of the medical profession as well. Very interesting. Um, so there was some kind of wisdom they thought to be from snakes. Yeah. Wow. Well, and see, and mm-hmm. this is this is a really important and very hot topic issue for me right now, because I've just become painfully aware mm. of the way we do this to ourselves and the way society teaches us to decontextualize our experiences, to suck them dry of meaning. So like, I've just been noticing such a trend, especially, especially in Western society and especially among reductionist kind of philosophy, um, like, uh, from a lot of skeptical scientific people were taught like, oh, if you have a really trippy, crazy encounter with an animal out in nature or in your dream, it's just a dream or it's just a coincidence or, oh yeah, you, you're into astrology and you find personal meaning from that. Like, oh no, no, no. Sorry, those are just hydrogen balls in the sky. Those don't mean anything to you. So, so everything you've just learned about your journey, about yourself, that's not valid anymore. 
Like we're going to strip you of all these authentic ways of relating to the natural world, of relating to your own spirituality, your own sense of self. And we're going to give you these, these shitty prescribed reasons. Um, and um, we can take that out. They're going to give you all these uh, prescribed uh, things uh, that, that, are, that are empty of authentic, of authentic meaning. And I think something that's really powerful about shamanic work um, is it helps you find the sources of guidance, the sources of meaning, and to give them serious weight, to take them very literally and very seriously. And once you start to pick up the phone in that way, once you start to pay attention and listen in a radical way to yourself and to what everything around you is constantly trying to tell you, one, you realize that, in fact, everything around you is constantly trying to tell you things, <laughs> which is life-changing in its own way. Mm-hmm. But you realize you can actually trust yourself more and that there are there's an abundant sources of information that are actually here to like help us grow and help us live better, rich lives. And it's anyone can access it. You just have to learn how to listen and to be open to it in the right way. Mm. And what I want to say, just why this is so important to me, it's like anyone listening right now, you right now deserve to have spiritual experiences that prove to you beyond any measure of a doubt that there are forces out there that um, that are higher, that are greater than us, and that are trying to get us uh, to grow and to to live in a good way, that want to help you and want to see you be the best version of yourself, that there is a bigger picture going on here. And if you're settling for experiences that that aren't that, or you're distrusting the experiences that you are, that that is a, is a way of thinking that, uh, that is wrong, that, that, has, that has led us to a false belief, and that if you, if you personally want to experience these things, they're your birthright. Mm. And they are, they are there for you. And you honestly, I wouldn't stop until you get those. And I would say that the shamanic way of doing work mm. is a really powerful way for you to get those answers. And I would say, don't take my word for it. Go out there and try it. Please try it because amazing things can come when you open yourself up to that. Those are some very, uh, very powerful words. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree anymore that uh, one big aspect of why we suffer so much is we've given away our personal power. Absolutely. Uh, we, we say things like, I can't do this because of that or because of this, rather than realizing that we essentially create the meaning in our life and we also find it mm-hmm. uh, within ourselves. Um, and that path is for us to walk alone. Now, how do you find your way into shamanic experiences? What's your primary method? There's so many ways, and I, I think um, this is something that people get hung up about. They get hung up on the tools, um, and a lot of people who've read early books like Michael Harner's uh, books about shamanism. Love that book. Yeah, it's a great, and it, you know, it really opened up neo-shamanism to so many people, and it, it, I'm so grateful for that, but but it does, one thing that does um, irritate me is just this kind of reduction of possibility in terms of like how we connect to spirit. The tools that he presents in that are, are awesome, but they're not going to work for everybody. For example, shamanic journeying is not something that I do a lot of. I actually struggle with shamanic journeying. It is so <laughs> difficult. It is. We've it's been repressing practical. our imagination since it, we were like seven years right, old. Right. So for a lot of us, images, like it's, it's hard and it's very and disheartening. I'm so glad that I found my teacher who was like miles Spirit is trying to con- get through to you through every moment yeah. in, in your experiences, in your dreams, in your feelings, in your body, in yeah. the people and places and things that you encounter. They're all weaving yeah. this tapestry and it's right before you. And you don't have to sit down and uh-huh. just journey, just just open up and start to notice those things. And so for me, like, I mean, I'll, I'll do certain, I'll use certain tools. Like I do a lot of drumming. I do a lot of work with drumming. I do a lot of meditation and working with plants, um, in healing ways. But those are just, those are just a few of the, of the great ways in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, every person more or less spirit communicates with, but some people it sends snail mail to. Yeah. Some people it sends an email to. Yeah. Some it sends texts, some phone calls, some it uh, sends birds. Yeah. Um, Carrier and pigeons. it's like, yeah. And to think that one path is correct for you is like sitting 
there's like a pile of mail from Spirit that you're not reading, and you're just sitting waiting for a phone call. To be honest, and you're like, "Where's the phone call?" I think it's most not your of way. us are living that way. You and find uh, your way. It is, and I, you know, to be fair, it's it is a big, it's a huge shift to to start undoing those undoing those uh, uh, the to opening the mail. Um, and the good the good news is that it's not going to stop coming. And that um, you're never like going to be abandoned by spirit. Like spirit's never going to not do what it's doing already right now. It's trying to get through to you and you're helping spirits in our tradition, in our belief system. We believe that we incarnate with, with these spirits that, that are wise and that come to help us through these journeys that, uh, that God or the great spirit or the creator didn't, didn't plop us down here uh, without help. Um, but basically that, that there's these forces at work that are, that are constantly trying to help us and they're not going to give up on you just because you can't hear them. But I will say that the, the learning to pick up the phone is a, is a long work and, and it, it can happen in all sorts of different capacities. And I think, um, you know, for a lot of us, like it takes, it takes big experiences to finally do that. You know, it takes like a big spiritual experience for us to finally realize like, wow, the world is not what I mm. thought it was. What was your first big spiritual experience? You know, ah, there's, there's been many, but I, I'd say some of the, some of the bigger ones were, uh, with psychedelic medicine, uh, working with, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, um, some of those were, were extreme and, mm. uh, pretty much just blasted me into outer space in a way that, um, that nothing really prepared me for, but the fallout of that or the, the gift of that, or that there was no way I could go back to seeing the world the same way, given what I had experienced. But there's plenty of other stuff too, you know, like impossible synchronicities, um, mm-hmm. like people, uh, who I've never met before, like coming up to me and being like, you are this way, you have this many people in your life, you're in this toxic relationship and you need to go to this place to get this kind of thing, <laughs> you know, like really dramatic stuff like that. Um, uh, that's just <laughs> wow. like, well, that's not a coincidence. Like that just happened to me. Like that person was channeling something and, uh, and that just happened and that's real. That just happened. <laughs> that's not just a coincidence. Right. And you know, that's not yeah. how that, that won't happen to everybody. But I, I do think that once you start to open up to this stuff, like that will happen more and more and just become part of your waking reality. It's just a matter of like your willingness to listen. I've noticed that, uh, a lot in my life as well. Uh, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about when you follow your bliss, mm. all sorts of doors get opened up to you that, uh, weren't there before and all right. sorts of forces come in to help yeah. you and all sorts of symbols and omens come into your life, uh, when you become open. So I, I really use that as a guidance for, yeah. am I on the right path? Yeah. When I, when I am on the right path, I feel it first and foremost yeah. in my heart that I am uh, doing the right things with my life. And then I also see it in, uh, mm. what happens in my life and, uh, you know, a crow might fly by right <laughs> when I'm having a certain thought and it's like very pertinent. Yeah. Things like that. Little omens. And I, I really love that you, you mentioned the heart. I think, um, something that makes me really sad, but is so important is that we've, uh, so many of us have been disconnected from our authentic sense of self and sense of place and what our heart wants, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we allow ourselves to be filled with uh, all these expectations and voices that aren't our own. Mm-hmm. And the key, like the, the center part of shamanic work is figuring out like what your authentic self is here to do, what it wants to do, and to, to learn to follow that with radical authenticity and courage. And uh, what makes me sad is that I know so many people um, don't think that they can actually access what their heart is trying to tell them. And you know what? For me, that is hard. And it has been hard to get cut through all those stories, all that crap up in my, in my mind and my emotional body and my physical body that was preventing me from, from knowing that, that I already possess all the, the sense of, of oneness and sense of connection that I need. It's just buried under all these stories and all these false selves, you know, and I, I, I'm stripping those away so I can actually hear my heart and what I need to do. It's incredibly difficult to strip away those stories. It's scary. Because in a lot of cases, um, we don't even think of them as stories. We just think of it as the way it is. Right. Not realizing right. that it's just a story. So for example, um, uh, so from kind of when I was younger, I always, uh, I was 
told sometimes by other people that I'm just kind of like disorganized and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I took it very much to heart and I just thought, oh, I'm just disorganized. Built that a story, story around it. I am. I, yeah. The mess is fine with me. And I built all this coping mechanism around it. And what I'm finding now is like, I am unique in my own way. Yeah. And sometimes that manifests as disorganization. But I realized that things like that are just a skill that you can develop. Yeah. So now I'm not disorganized because right. I never was. I just thought right. I was. And that was my story of I am this way and this is just how right. I am. It's in my genetics. It's in my constitution. Mm -hmm. It's written in a stone block, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like the, the ways are myriad in which we think that something is very true and unchangeable. But a lot of th those things are not actually true once you take the chisel. Yeah. It. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it, one thing that becomes really funny and the good news about good spirituality and the good news about shamanism is that you will find as for as much as the hard work there is, there's a lot of joy and humor in it. And, and it's, it's all, it all ends up being like joy and, and good sense of cosmic peace. giggles, cosmic giggles. Yeah. Real. If you can't laugh, if you can't find things funny, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long road. But, um, but what I, what I meant to say is just, uh, the things that when you start to strip those away, you start to wonder why did I build my story around such a, a ridiculous thing? This is so far from who I actually am. Mm. And, and it just goes to show you how, how uh, confused and, and traumatized and deluded we can become to who we actually are and what we're here to do. And, um, and that has provided a great source of eye-openingness for me and, and humor in my life to, to realize I was wrapping my energy and my power around some really useless things mm. that, that were so far from who I actually am. We live in a, in a culture yeah. that's absolutely okay with you not being yourself. It, it profits off it, actually. Yeah. And we are the ones who suffer because of that. Right. Actually, everybody suffers because of we it. All, and we all keep each other down. You know, we are terrified of authentic people because it, it's our shadow. Like, we're resisting that authenticity in right. ourselves. Well, authenticity, too, mm -hmm. because of the shadow being an underlying factor and uh, an opportunity for integration, authenticity sometimes doesn't seem good. Yeah. Sometimes it's... Um, expressing anger when somebody crosses your boundaries. Absolutely. That's absolutely healthy. But if you, if you grow up in, a, in an environment where any kind of protest mm -hmm. to your situation gets met with violence, right. you're going to suppress that anger. Absolutely. But where's it going to go? Right. Where are you going to put the anger? And, you know, area I, deep. Uh, and then, totally. and then where it comes out, it'll come out unhealthily like this. Mm -hmm. You'll be driving around and somebody will cut you off and you'll just have like almost like a breakdown of like, ah, yeah. ah and road rage and yeah. all this. And it's because of something that happened a long time ago and you never really, uh, you never dealt with it. You never right. expressed your anger. So it's just going to come up in some right. random context, but it's not random. At and, all. and that'll keep, you know, that'll keep happening. And so what's really interesting to me, um, is that so many times when we enter situations that re-trigger those original wounds, it's actually, an opportunity to heal that wound and it's been brought into your life to give you an opportunity to work through it. Now, because so mm. much of us are lacking the self-knowledge and the skills and the support and the help from, from, you know, good medicine people and from wise healers and spiritual leaders, you know, we can't all do this on our own. We need, we need help right now to get to the place where we can hear and trust ourselves and hear, uh, you know, wisdom from spirit. But mm. so many of those re-traumatizing events that feel cyclical and feel like we're cursed or endless mm -hmm. are actually the universe trying to give us an opportunity to work through it. But we just, we can't see that. And we don't know how to do that in a good way. We're just not there yet. Sometimes, right. sometimes we need to see the same thing happen mm -hmm. so many times before we realize, yeah. Oh, and then just drop it. Well, and just and like that. What I love so much about the shamanic way is you get these skills yourself. You don't need to go through someone. You will learn the skills yourself to be able to ask from spirit directly and get mm. very clear answers like, how do I work through this? Like spirit, my guides, um, or your, if you're praying to your ancestors or any higher power, show me. I'm, I'm ready to step up and to work through these blockages that are manifesting these cyclical patterns. I'm ready. Now just show me how. 
And the amazing thing is those answers will come. If you learn in the good way, they will come and they will be so clear. And then you will get your power back. You're going to, it's going to be a lot of work, but you're going to work through that stuff. And then the pattern will stop happening. And that's, that's been my experience. That's why, um, I think shamanic medicines and entheogens are so incredibly, uh, powerful as a tool for certain people who, um, prefer that path because they give you an experience of what is possible. And once you have that experience of what kind of state is possible, you have something to aim towards, right? So dealing with traumas and uh, negative experiences and negative thought patterns is incredibly draining. It's painful. It's confusing. It never seems like there's a right answer. Um, And until you have an experience on the other side of it, there's no motivation to work through it because it's like, it actually seems very wise to be like, I don't want to deal with that. That just makes me feel like crap when I, when I think about that topic Absolutely. and it doesn't lead to anything. But yeah. when, when you get an experience almost on the other side of that bliss that comes from being at peace with yourself, mm-hmm. you realize it's worth that. It's Absolutely. worth diving into that work and it's unpleasant work, but it's like, it's like doing the dishes, you know? Yeah. You, you're not going to have any dishes to eat with yeah. and you're going to have a, a mess if you just don't just do the dishes, but yeah. And also they pile up. So exactly. <laughs> I think the pile ups a really important part and, and something that I've kind of had to, to learn. And there's this concept that, um, that is really well explored in the podcast. Why shamanism now, which I'm mm-hmm. going to recommend to all, all the listeners who are interested in the shamanic uh, path. It's by, uh, Christina Pratt. Yes. Christina Pratt, uh, who is the founder of the last mask center for shamanic healing based here in Portland. Um, but just this concept of being a spiritual adult, that when we're kids, the things we do are okay because we're kids and that's the best we can do. But when we mm. grow up and mature in a way, we have this responsibility to, to realize that we are, we are um, co-creators in our, in our lives and that we are, through not working and stepping through the hard stuff, we're allowing our dishes to build up. And I promise you, and this is the hard truth, that those wounds that those traumas are are not going anywhere and that they're going to they're going to continue to uh, affect your ability mm-hmm. to be here in a present authentic way until they get the attention that they need and you know what if you're not able in this moment to deal with some serious trauma that is completely okay i want to validate everyone's journey to healing but just to be aware and to step up into that sense of responsibility in the sense that if something's happening cyclically, it's not going to it's not going to stop for me unless I figure out what is the root cause of this and I step up into my courage and my love for myself and my trust in spirit to work through it in a meaningful way. And and the good news is is that you don't have to do that alone. I didn't. Mm. I you just got to find the right people to help you do that. Uh, the shamanic path in a lot of ways can be a very lonely path. Yes. Because you are dealing with fundamentally your issues. Yes. But in Jungian psychology, that's just the tip of the iceberg. As you go deeper and deeper, you start working with collective human issues. Yeah. And that's something that uh, that constantly inspires me um, along trying to really just be as good of a person as possible, being kind, being sharing, uh, offering my time to people, things like that is that we're really not alone. And every, every inch that you gain in your own growth, you can share with another person. And that is incredibly rewarding and fulfilling because we're not really in this alone. It feels like we're alone, but I think that's part of the disease that we think that we're separated. So you were talking about how relationship Mm. is a big uh, theme in the shamanic practice. Absolutely. Yeah. This is something that has transformed my whole waking existence Mm. and (laughs) I guess sleeping existence as well. And it's funny because once you see it and once you understand it, it was there the entire time. It's not a new concept and it's something that we're literally living through all of us, but we may be living through passively. And it's this deep, intense concept of relationship. And what I mean by that is relationship in a shamanic sense is this awareness that all things in life Everything in existence is in simultaneous relationship with everything else. Mm. That nothing in our world exists in a vacuum. That literally, when we think about, I mean, if we just think about um, like your body, 
you are composed of these cells. A single cell on its own is not gonna do much, but when it's in relationship with other cells, it can do amazing things. Your organs work together. And that's just stuff within your own body. You've Then you throw in your mind and your spirit, and suddenly you have all these things coming mm. together in relationship. They have to be in relationship. They are in relationship to bring you this kind of semblance of walking, waking reality. And then, and then, you throw in the fact that the air you're breathing is the same air that every other living thing on earth is breathing, that the, the, your body is literally composed of, um, of plants and animals that you've eaten that have lived and died. So you could be here that you are walking in a, in a perfect system of absolute connection, causality, this, this sea of connection and relationship. And when we realize that, it completely takes away this sense of I'm my own individual operating as a separate entity from the world. And what it also means is it's an, it's a gateway for healing because you realize that if, if illness, if pain is manifesting within me, that I can find answers outside of me or that things that are not right outside of me will manifest as illness within me. And Mm -hmm. that we are all connected in healing, that we all have to step up and do this work together because we are completely connected to all of us um, and to and to everything else in existence, not just people, you know, the earth, the plants, um, the air. And this is kind of t- touching into that animistic worldview, which is just this idea that we're swimming in a sea of of spirit that's manifesting in an infinite number of forms. And all of us are a part of that. We all have a role to play. I love that. And yeah. when we have that experience, it, it enriches our lives um, tremendously. What do you think the, the relationship is between illness and shamanic initiation and the shamanic practice? Yeah. And this, well, this is a great time to just uh, briefly touch on this. So, um, I just want to say too, for those listeners who may not understand what we mean by shamanic way, um, I want to be clear that when I say I'm living a shamanic life or practicing shamanic healing, I'm not, that is not to say that I claim to be a shaman, that a shaman is a very specific thing, and I will provide a link um, so that people can read more about this, um, but that I'm not claiming to be a shaman, I'm not working to be a shaman, um, but that we can still use techniques that are used uh, and have been used for thousands of years, cultural technology, mm-hmm. basically, to access and work with the world and with spirit in particular ways that are useful. And that's what I mean by um, by walking a shamanic path. And I'd say... This is a topic for another time that we can really dive into, but the relationship between healing and illness and the shamanic journey um, really is that illness uh, can be a call, mm. and it often is a call for people who work, uh, who do shamanic healing. It's kind of the wounded healer archetype that mm-hmm. he, that illness is a gateway for someone to deeply understand what suffering is, what death is. Mm. Um, in a way that gives them insight into the nature of healing so that they can go forth and, and heal others. And so a lot of people called to healing uh, positions, whether it's shamanism or other forms, often have their own healing stories Absolutely. that play like a pivotal role in that. And it, it yeah. they are the defining characteristic that allows them actually to heal. So yeah. I hear this very yeah. often that someone who's troubled by, let's say, some kind of drug addictions for their whole life uh, they, when they overcome it, they feel the strive to be a, a drug addiction counselor. And who else can help a person other than somebody who's been through it all? That's the only person that can really help you. Absolutely. So our wounds, uh, Rumi says, and I, I love this poem, uh, the wound is where the light enters you. It's at yeah. the end of a, a very beautiful long poem, but that's kind of the, like the, mm. the, the, the cherry on top that yeah. is the, you know, the, the wisdom there. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I think it's, it's really, um, it's good to bring up the fact that, um, the term shamanism has a lot of interpretations. Hmm. Um, I have this book in front of me right now. It's basically the OG book on shamanism from a scholarly perspective. Um, it's called shamanism, archaic techniques of ecstasy. Hmm. Uh, it's written by Mircea Eliad, a uh, great, uh, scholar. And he kind of went deep into these different uh, cultures. And what he found, 
uh, consistently amongst these different cultures across the whole world is that they use certain techniques, whether that was plants or drumming or dancing, something physical, meditation, they use those techniques for ecstasy. Ecstasy in the sense that leaving the body, like an ecstatic experience, some way of transcending the, the purely physical consciousness. And for that, he, he added the term and really popularized it, shamanism. Hmm. So when we talk about shamanism, we're speaking in a very general term. Um, basically, all of the practices across the world that are used for coming to a deeper truth. So even some religious practices can be considered shamanic and vice versa. So I think it's really, um, it's really important to define that term. Um, fortunately, I think the term is pretty good. I think it uh, captures a good aspect and it's specific enough to be useful. Yeah. And, um, you know, I definitely want to hold space for the fact that that the word um, came from a specific tradition. So I want to honor that and the Tangorism and the uh, the uh, Siberian people who who uh, that word came from. And now, you know, it has it has been used and has been expanded in a way that uh, that is the word that people use to t- talk about about these kinds of ways of of being and these practices. And so I definitely invite anyone who's, who's interested and wants to learn more. And I'd say that this is really important to educate ourselves about what it is and what it looks like, um, to check out some of the links that I will provide, um, in the show notes. Um, and also to do, do your own explorations and research. Um, and to know that this, these ways of relating to the world and to being in the world are not inaccessible to people in a modern context that, in fact, these are some of these skills are quite practical that all of us can incorporate. You don't have to go be a mystic in some faraway place. You don't have to go um, go, you know, on a really long life changing journey just to be able to change your life with these tools. a big announcement to make. Me and a business partner have started a supplement company. We will be making our own tinctures from scratch, wildcrafted, with the goal of one day actually growing these herbs and harvesting them ourselves to make these tinctures. Uh, For now, we're reselling some products that we really stand behind, some products from Wise Woman Herbals, Integrative Therapeutics, and the main goal at this point is really to just find the best supplements, the highest quality things uh, to share with the community and to really take the guesswork out of buying supplements. So really, if it's uh, something for the heart to get something like Hawthorne, a very well-known herb uh, for that condition, uh, really to focus in on what are really the key herbs that are helpful. Because there's so many supplements out there that have a thousand ingredients in them and they're all in low dosages and they probably don't do anything. And that's why supplements get a, uh, a bad rap. So the company is called Kentaros Therapeutics and we have a website that's gonna be up soon. You guys can check out. It's called uh, ktherbs.com. That's spelled K-T and then herbs.com. Um, love you guys so much. Please support by picking up a tincture you like. Uh, It'll be the same price as you can find in stores or online. Uh, However, one of the main goals of the company is actually to take 10% of all our profits and reapply them in the natural medicine sphere to promote this medicine so that more people can get this healing. So this is really a a passion project. We got great stuff. We got some uh, tinctures coming in the mail. We got some great compound supplements. Thank you guys so much. Much love. Bogged and out.